Good morning, Northbridge. My name is Ray Brandon, the pastor for preaching. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, and uh, the preaching text this morning is verses 17 through 25, and I will read those uh, for you uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to read an Old Testament passage um, as as you're turning. From Exodus 23, verses 1 through 9. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving, it, leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your, uh, due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not acquit, quit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for the bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In the text for this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Let elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all that they may that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer, um, um, no longer drink any water, or no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and, and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to, to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are cannot remain hidden. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing um, our series and continuing with the theme that is in, in this passage of honor. Um, before we get to that, um, just a reminder uh, that next week we have Pastor Glenn Blossom with us, and he's going to talk about the discipline of rest. And so it's wonderful to look out over a congregation and see uh, our auditorium filled. And uh, next week, you're not going to want to miss um, that uh, special message and rest. Um, I don't want to steal his, uh, steal his thunder here, but I do want to tell you a story. I think that's really important. 
Um, you know, and, and those of you at home, you can raise your hands on this as, as well, but how many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? How many, I just need to figure out like who I'm talking to. Let, let me see your hands. If you've seen that, okay. Okay, so it's an older movie. A lot of you have not seen that movie. Um, it's, about the, it's about the Olympics. You'll have to go. I'm, I'm sure it's on one of the streaming services or it's probably on a, on a disc. I don't know. Do we know what those are anymore? <laughs> But I'm sure it's on. You can you can watch this. It's a it's about two men, um, Eric Liddell, um, and Harold Abrams. Um, that's an interesting story because the whole tension is around the issue of. Um, I mean, it's it's about running. It's about the Olympics. It has all the sports kinds of things that go with a sports movie. Um, you will enjoy that. But there's a tension in the movie specifically because a qualifying race is on a Sunday. And Eric Liddell um, decides that um, he's not going to run the race. So a little spoiler there. He's, he's not going to run that qualifying race. And now he, he runs in other, other heats, other, other races there at the Olympics. And you'll have to, to watch the story. But my, my point isn't to tell you the story of, uh, um, of the movie itself, but rather to tell you what the story does not tell. Um, Harold Abrams... Um, in the movie is um, portrayed as uh, a Jewish man, um, which he actually was. But I think the backstory is so much more interesting, even though it's a, it's a classic movie. The backstory is really interesting uh, because the whole tension around this movie has to do with rest and honoring that day of rest that God has, has, has given and, and what Eric Liddell sacrifices um, to do that. Um, Eric Liddell, shortly after that, that um, Olympics, he was a missionary. He went to the mission field in which he died in a, a prison camp. Um, Harold Abrams lived to, I think, like 1978 and went on to, to be a sports commentator, that kind of thing. But Harold Abrams was a, raised a devout Jewish man. Um, but if you read what he says... He converted. In other words, he gave up his faith. He, he converted to Christianity. Um, but the Christianity is, um, is very thin. Um, but he gave up his faith because he wanted to run. He gave up his faith for sports. It's a really interesting story. Um, he, his story, I think, is actually just as interesting as Eric Liddell. And I, I think as we think about the discipline of rest and we think about how we are oftentimes running after things and desiring to control things in life and desiring to possess and attain, uh, the story of people um, who give things up is interesting. And I think this particular, um, this particular message and just this whole idea of um, honoring that day, the Lord's Day, um, that God has given to us is so very important in the overarching theme of the discipline of godliness. So as we have been stressing, and the text does, the things that we do, um, this one Sunday will help us put um, some tension or balance to that as we talk about God's command for us not to do certain things in order to really understand his grace, his sovereignty, his control, and what it does 
for us, in us, and through us. So um, that's all to say. Um, it's, it's interesting if you watch that movie, but read actually the Jewish literature and what, and what, they, what Jewish, modern-day Jewish people think of Harold Abrams for giving up his faith um, in order to run. It's a very interesting story. All right, let's get into the text. Um, we have three points this morning, similar to uh, last week. Um, they are um, honor... Honor, honor, so three points of honor. Um, I, I put them up here like this. They're, I'm going to refer to them a little bit differently because they fit really nicely on the slide like that. So I liked how that looked. So, so if you're, a, you're like a copious note taker and you're like, well, that's not the exact point. If, you know, if you're on the target, we're, we're good this morning. So uh, first what we see in this passage, as we, we look at this, the top and the tail of this entire section is honor. And, and so we looked at last week honoring widows, and we talked um, a lot more um, as we got into that. What does that look like for the church? We talked about the order of, of widows different than the office in the church and how important honor is. Um, here we move into um, honoring elders or honoring pastors. And the first thing that we see here in the passage is that some elders are worthy to receive double honor. So double honor to preaching elders. Look at verse 17. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. Um, so it's an interesting statement. What does this mean that um, elders... Um, who, are, who are called to lead the church. So elders or pastors or shepherds or overseers or bishops, they all are the, uh, um, the same um, office described in various different ways. We, we looked at that back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, where the qualifications for this office of elder are laid out. So I'm not going to repeat that. Um, but we, we notice we come up on here on verse 17, and we see the word um, rule. The word rule means to, to guide, to guide. Um, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Um, so we, when we look at this verse and we say, okay, what is honor? We've got to get Past first, this those that rule well. We've got to understand that at Northbridge we have a congregational form of governance. Um, so the congregation is involved in appointing and removing the office of elders. Right. So there's other other church forms of government um, where pastors are assigned to churches. Uh, and um, and they they move there where the the church doesn't vote. There's there's perhaps many different kinds that we could talk about, but we have a form of government governance that is a congregational form of governance. Um, it, we also, as a congregation, although it's not required by Scripture, but is a matter we believe as elders, it's a matter of prudence um, that our congregation uh, approves a budget every year. So those that are members gather together and they approve uh, a budget. So this form of congregational government, does, it doesn't deny what the scriptures clearly teach that pastors and elders are called to lead or to rule. 
right? So congregational governance that we have does not deny that pastors are called to rule or to lead. Um, it's actually one of the things that elders are appointed to. So when we look at that word there, that when that pops up, we understand that members uh, of a church of a biblically operating church, operating according to God's word, have responsibilities and they have certain powers. It's important. But also the elders have certain responsibilities and certain powers. They're to work together um, in the church. Second, um, in this passage, notice that there is a distinction between elders who rule and elders who labor in preaching and teaching. Uh, when we were back in 1 Timothy 3, that we learned that one of the qualifications of the office of overseer or elder is that the man is able to teach. That's the phrase that the scripture uses. So all elders need to be able to, to teach, but here we have a distinction in the function of elders. So some have more responsibility when it comes uh, to ruling, and some have more responsibility when it comes to preaching and teaching. Now, some churches have made a distinction uh, about this, where they have ruling elders and they have teaching elders. Um, we um, don't make that distinction. Um, we, ha we haven't made that, that distinction here. All of our elders function in both ways. Um, but they are, we all together function in one way more than the other. And so ruling and teaching are both functions of, of elders. And some will engage in one more than the other. Um, third, and this is Paul's main point here, it's elders who rule well, and particularly those who labor in preaching and teaching, are to be considered worthy of double honor. So what does that mean? What does that mean that an elder is that um, that all elders are worthy of double honor? He says that it's especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's a couple of different options that we could take here when we look at this. Um, it could be that double honor um, requires that elders who who labor in teaching receive honor in the form of respect and honor in the form of financial compensation. It could be the, the two of those together. Um, it could be that just coming from this section of, of um, the order of widows in which the church sustains um, a widow who is truly a widow according to those qualifications listed in the passage, that, that elders should be given financial support that is twice the amount of what those widows were sustained by. Um, it could mean that it's just the elders are to be generously provided for. Um, I, I think it is. Um, I, I think there's a nuance. Um, I've, I've wondered about this, and, and here's where I land on this, is, is one, that elders are to be honored. In other words, they are to be shown respect for the position that they hold. Right, so honor is respect. That's keeping with this entire section that the, the congregation ought to show honor for the office that those men hold. Now, um, it, it's, that's an interesting um, thing. You know, how do we show respect? 
Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, and I think this goes for all of our elders, um, that it is uh, that that it's a that they don't care um, what you call them, and titles are not a big thing around here. Um, but a title does do something when it's used by a person, right? It, it, a titles do something. So many of you call me Pastor, Pastor Ray, or Pastor Brandon, or just Pastor. Um, and, and you know, honestly, um, I speak for. Um, I speak for Pastor Mark and Pastor John, <laughs> that they don't care. what you, We don't care if you call us Ray or Mark or John. Probably even more so, Mark and John don't care what you call us. However, that said, right, the use of that title is a way to show respect. It is a way to show honor. Um, it's a way to show the the function of that office in, in your life. You know, can I be transparent for, for just a moment? There are some that have grown up in church all their life, and they would feel funny about not calling me pastor. Um, and, you know, that's just what they do. Um, there are others that haven't been around church, you know, and, and they feel funny about calling me pastor. Like, he's, that's Ray. Like, why would I... You know, I don't call John, Plumber John, you know, I don't do that. Well, it's different than that. There, there is this, the, the office of shepherd, and um, I use this word under shepherd because there's one shepherd, which is Jesus, right? So my job is to point to the shepherd. I don't like that word under shepherd because in no disrespect, it sounds just too much like undertaker. And although I have friends who do that and they're good friends and I have a lot of respect for them, that's not my calling, um, but there is, um, there is respect to that. There, there are people who call me pastor, and, and you know this, um, that sh- struggle with that because they struggle with the actual office and the authority that that holds, right? There, there's something about using that word when, when addressing one of the elders, and it's okay for you to address um, John as Pastor John, um, or Mark is Pastor Mark, or myself is Pastor Ray, because we function in that way. And so there is respect for that. But I think there's a higher degree of respect. Like using that term is one thing, um, but allowing an individual to function in that way as you use that term is a whole nother thing. And I think that's where, when we look at honor in this passage, um, I, I want you to ask one question here, is where is the gospel in this passage? In other words, where, is, where does the gospel operate here in this passage? Especially when we talk about giving honor for this office, which Jesus established, which is to reflect um, his work how does the gospel operate in that? I'm going to tell you in, 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 well, I'll tell you right now. How about if we just cut to the chase, right? Um, the, the, uh, the wonderful thing about this passage in, in talking about giving respect is in the tension um, that we have here is that you know full well that we are not Jesus. Anybody under that illusion here? Right? You know full well that we are not Jesus. And so we have to be careful. 
because Jesus has established um, this office, and we have to be very careful because it is a privilege to stand here and preach. But I am very aware every single week, and my wife will tell you I am not Jesus. Um, and we, we have to be very careful of that. In exercising care, um, we have to do um, several things. We ought not to view this office too low because sinful men occupy it. Right? We ought to not view it too low. Um, but we ought not as well to view it too high. Um, so don't put your pastor on a pedestal. You see, we see this oftentimes with leaders. Um, we, um, we, we like the fact that there's a lack of proximity to the leaders that we exalt. And the reason is, the further away that you get from the actual person, the more perfect that they look. We tend to, to put leaders, um, when, we, when we look at them, we tend to either make them all bad or all good. Right? We tend to make them all bad or all good. But when we actually gaze at the scriptures um, and we say, well, if we have these, these categories, if we don't have redemptive categories, if we're not looking at the categories that scripture creates, we have a problem, don't we? Because the leaders in the Bible are what? Except for one. They are all, come on class. Oh, I got mixed answers. They're, the leaders in the Bible are all bad. There's only one that's actually good. Right? Uh, unless, it's, it's, unless there's the gospel, right? They're all bad. They're all condemned. There's only one that's, that's actually good. And so we have to be careful that we don't have this idea of good leader, bad leader. Rather, we need a new category, right? We need a redemptive category the, that the, the gospel is at work, right? We need that, that kind of category. Uh, we tend to idealize men um, and put them um, on pedestals and put them at a, a, a distance. And uh, don't put your pastor... Um, on a pedestal, it is a um, it is it is too precarious uh, of a position. Uh, it's too easy to fall off of that pedestal. Um, and it, you know, I think one of the wonderful things of leading and having men like Mark and like John is that you know us well. That that's an important thing. So here, what are you driving at, Ray? When you say that there's honor, well, there needs to be honor for the office. There needs to be honor for the man that occupies the office, but we have to as well understand that the gospel is at work in that person as well. Right? That, that's what we need to understand. So there's a, there is a tension. Where do we need the gospel in this passage? Well, we need the gospel through and through in this passage if we are going to obey it. We need it for ourselves as people of the church. We need it for our leaders because we all need to look to Jesus. We all need to look to Jesus. You know, I, there are some individuals that are really easy to follow, and they're easy to follow because we don't know them well. The more you get to know someone, right, especially dads, you, your kids find it hard to follow you sometimes because they go, well, dad, you don't do that, <laughs> right? Right? 
The more you know the leader, sometimes the harder it is to follow the leader. So what do we need? All of us. We need the gospel. What's the purpose of a pastor? Is to point to Jesus. What's the purpose of a preaching pastor? Is to regularly open the scriptures and point to Jesus. So he says here that they're worthy of um, double honor. One is they're to be shown respect for the office that they hold. And two, they're to be honored through financial support. Those are the the two things, I think, that are at work um, in this this passage. So so honor in, in in respect for the office, but also a second kind of honor. Um, We read in verse 18 where it goes back to the Old Testament. The scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, um, that first passage. But there's, there, the, the, the next part is really fascinating because it gives us an insight. Paul's doing something here with the law of Moses. Um, this law concerning the oxen is unique um, to the old covenant and to the nation of Israel. And Paul recognized here in this passage that there's a universal moral principle um, and, and what's that principle? Um, it's simply this. Those who work should be compensated for their work. Um, if they sow their time, they ought to, to, to reap um, the harvest. Um, they ought to be able to live by what they, they do. So it's, it's true of oxen. Um, it's true of human beings. Um, but yet those who, who labor in preaching and teaching, and I take that to mean those who work hard, having been set aside by the church to devote lots of time to the ministry of the word are to be compensated. Um, So Paul is looking at this as a a universal moral principle, but then he takes the law of Moses and he puts that right together um, with actually the words of Jesus. Um, So the second part of that quote is from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. So Paul is doing something unique. He's taking Moses and Jesus, and he's quoting them together, and he's saying, well, they're actually saying the same thing, which has enormous theological implications that we could talk about at another time and another place. But I want you to, to notice that, um, that, um, that he, he quotes here from Luke ten seven, where it says, remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. The words laborer deserves his wages are direct, directly from Jesus. So we see here that, that Paul says that pastors, elders are to receive honor in the form of respect for their position and they are to receive honor in the form of adequate financial compensation. And um, we, we see this in, in other places, the, the 1689 Baptist, London Baptist Confession uh, speaks of this as well. You know, as a pastor, as a preaching pastor, um, you do a great job uh, taking care of me as a pastor and showing respect to your elders. I commend you um, for that. Um, there, uh, this is something that, you know, even as you, you talk about this, it feels, um, you know, a little bit on the spot speaking about 
being paid and worthy of double honor in speaking in this way. You know, in my years in ministry, I don't think that I've always taught well on this out of, you know, just, well, I can't talk about that. Um, but I've learned that we need to speak about the scriptures. And, and when you don't speak, if you don't speak about the scriptures, in other words, we preach in an expository fashion, right? If it was up to me, I would just skip over this because, well, I don't want to stand up here and talk about the job that I do and double honor. And I don't want to do that. Let's skip over these. And in effect, um, there have been times where I, I have not done that. That's not good for the church. Um, and what I've recognized is that's not good for the next pastor, right? That's not good for the, because we are all, the ministry of pastor, we are all interims, right? Someday I will go to a place in which pastors are not needed. It's called heaven, right? And there will be someone else who occupies this place. I am an interim pastor. There will be another. And so I need to teach this well so that the congregation knows how to treat pastors well. That's, that's important. Now, the second point is this, honor elders who are not above church discipline. So honor with discipline. I think this is very important in our day and age. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Um, now, there's a lot there. There's a lot there in that passage. Um, what we have here, in essence, is a short form. If you go back and read Matthew 18, you'll, you can see um, how we are to treat one another when we are in sin. Right? When we are in sin. That Matthew 18 says, when a brother or sister is in sin, you go to that person. And you talk to that person. You point out the sin. Um, and it, in these, these types of things, Matthew 18 talks about there, there needs to be a sin that's there. Um, this is, you, don't, you don't go to somebody and talk about a sin. In fact, um, the passage talks about deeds that are in secret. Um, whether they're good or bad, they eventually will come to the surface. Right? That's what happens. Both good and bad things eventually will come to the surface. So you can't have a hunch about, well, I just kind of have a... Uh, an inkling, and so, no, there, church discipline is for when there is a public sin, and you, and you go to that person one-on-one, -on -one and you talk to them. If they repent, what happens? There's grace, right? If they don't repent, then you go to them with another person, and you talk to them. And if they repent, what happens? Well, there's grace, um, and if they, they don't repent at that, at that time, then, then what happens? As a, as a church, um, we have a responsibility to the gospel, right? To say this, this is not just our profession, but this is how we live, right? So as a, as a membership, so those that are members of the church, have a responsibility as well 
to seek to restore someone who is in unrepentant sin. Either if they, if they don't repent at that point, when it is made known to the congregation and the congregation seeks to persuade them, um, then there is a public marking out, this person is not living according to their profession of faith. Right? You, you, you can't live this way. You can't claim Jesus and do these things. Right? So that whole process is only for those that are claiming uh, the name of Christ that are part of a local body. Well, here we see Matthew 18 in the case of elders or pastors. And so this, this is saying that elders, right, they, they are to be honored because they honored with discipline. Why? Because they hold a place in the life of the church. They are never above discipline. Right? They are never above discipline. Um, that elders ought to be confronted. Um, if they are in sin, um, they are to be confronted with that, that sin. And it says so that, that, so that the rest may stand in fear. Right? The rest may stand in fear. If, a, if an elder is unrepentant of his sin, the same process that takes place in Matthew 18 um, is to take place um, with an elder. Um, notice um, how serious Paul is concerning the charge. Notice what he says about this. He calls God, Jesus Christ, the elect angels as witnesses to charge or command. Um, and you heard it right. He does call the angels here elect angels, but that's a whole other subject for another time. Um, that when we read this, it means that we probably should listen up. This is very important. Um, there's two things um, that he insists. One, um, Timothy, along with the whole church of Ephesus, was to keep these rules regarding the discipline of elders without prejudging. Right? There's a process. And he says, when he brings these witnesses to this, he's saying, this is important that you handled this discipline well. And two, he says that they are to do nothing from partiality. Nothing from partiality. Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears it, it is his folly and his shame. And so, um, as with elders, as with anyone, um, it is not good to prejudge or to be partial. Um, but rather um, to give a hearing of the thing and to follow the process um, as it unfolds here in Matthew 18 as well as in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Finally, um, we are to honor elders by ordaining with care and with caution, right? So you, you can see the progress of honor. Um, honor, right, honor and double honor in some ways. Honor and give double honor. Um, but as well, don't, honor is not placing someone above, but rather um, honor with discipline. There's no leader that is above the congregation in the sense of his own sin, but rather honor with discipline. And then third, honor elders by ordaining with care and with caution, 
Uh, here, he says in verses 22 through 25, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are, that are not cannot remain hidden. There's a couple of things um, in this passage um, before you get to the main point. Um, he, he talks about drinking wine um, rather than just water uh, for his ailment. Have you ever wondered why that makes it into this section? Right? Why not like in the, like the PS of the letter? Oh, hey, hey, buddy, you know, I, I heard that you got an upset stomach. You might not want to drink the water. Have a little wine with that. In that day and age, that was they would mix wine with water because they didn't have filtration systems and that kind of thing. It would kill the bacteria, and that, this is a typical remedy for that. But why here? Why, why is it like, and it's like in this parenthesis, why here? Um, I, I've read the commentators, and many of them agree, is uh, when you're dealing with other people's problems, how does that make you feel? I, I think here it was the stress of ministry, and Paul's recognizing that, and he's saying, Look, you really want to be stressed? You're stressed, Timothy, because you know, we, we know what's happening in the church of Ephesus. And, and he's relating that to his stomach issue. And he's saying, hey, here's something that I think you need to. Um, but you want to be more stressed, Timothy? Put somebody in the office of elder before they're ready. You want to bring stress into the church. Now, what we need to do is honor those that are seasoned. Honor those that, that prove themselves. Um, don't, don't take someone too early. Um, and we, we need to not be hasty, as he says, in the laying on of hands. Um, the phrase there, nor take part in the sins of others, indicates that when elders lay hands on the immature, untested, um, to appoint them for, for this particular office, um, they are taking part in their sins to some degree. And he says, keep yourself pure from that. So we, we look here in this passage and we see that we are to honor. Um, it's, the, it's the second instance of honor, that we're to honor our elders. Um, we are to honor those that labor in preaching in a particular way. But also this honor doesn't mean that pastors are above discipline and it also means that we need to have care with those that we bring into the office. And so we, we bring into this office um, individuals like myself who do this in a vocational way. Um, but also, um, every three or six years, um, we have elders that this is not their vocation. They, uh, they function more in ruling elders. And we bring them into this office. Um, this is an encouragement to us as a church that we ought to be preparing men for this office. The Bible says that the one who desires to hold this office 
desires a very good thing. Um, church, let us not forget right, what this function, what this, how this office functions. It functions to point all of us to Jesus. That office deserves the honor that the word of God gives it. But it also deserves the honor in care, protecting it, preserving it, keeping it pure, both by the individuals that are in it as well by the congregation. And it also, it deserves honor in preparation. And so as, as we, we look at this, where's the gospel? Well, the gospel is in this because this is how the church functions. This is an essential function of the church to point the world towards Jesus. It's looking at and honoring the office of elder. But I also, I, I think we would be amiss if we were to say, well, that's it, honor. I don't think it ends there. I think it begins it begins with the men in this congregation. Yesterday, and I'm, I'm thankful to, to Brad and to John for the discussion of um, ministry through the a biblical, um, the, that book, what was that, Brad? Biblical, a biblical theology of youth ministry. Um, and, you know, I've preached on Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I missed this reading the book through the first time. I read it through the second time, um, but I missed the fact that um, the, the author points out in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where instructions, Moses gives instructions to Israel that all the verb forms are masculine. It's significant because the, Moses, the, the writer, had the option there to use different verb forms. And we talked about that for a while, and I thought, this needs to make it into the message today because it's the beginning point of honor, right? Honor starts, men, with us. Where is the preparation? It's in the home. It's in the home. And it means that what? As men, we're, I know this is countercultural, and I know somebody's going to accuse me of being sexist. I mean, it's going to be out on YouTube, Right? But I have, I have never, if a man is leading like Jesus, I've never heard a woman complain, ever, right? So that's where it begins, men. It begins in our home. It begins leading like Jesus so that we can raise up men to fill this pulpit, to function as elders because you are functioning that way in your homes. Now listen, that is in no way disparaging women at all. Um, I will take up that debate any day, um, any day. Now our, our culture corrupts that and makes what I'm saying sounding like as men, I'm instructing them to be cavemen and drag women around by their hair and you know, whatever. That's not at all. That's not at all. We are to lead like Jesus. You say, where's the gospel in this passage? How does Jesus lead? He empties himself. He takes on the form of a servant. He becomes like us, dirty and tired 
and troubled. He washes the feet of his disciples. He proclaims hope and he gives healing. He takes the weight of the world onto his shoulders without complaint. And he calls it a joy. That's what he does. And then that bullet that had your name on it, he takes that too. He takes the wrath of God. And it is then when he serves us in that way, and only then through humility is he exalted. May we not look for our exaltation, men. But may, may we look to serve. May we look to serve our families. This is countercultural, I know. And it will set you apart and get you a bad label. That's okay. What we're called to do is to prove people wrong in that way and to love well. To love well and to love like Jesus. That is the task of an elder, to teach that, to lead in that way. That's the role of men. Um, women, I'll have a message for you and an application for you, but I think this is one you'll appreciate. Um, and there's much that's, that the, the word of God says um, to you as well. It's not to exclude you, but rather by preaching this, I hope to uplift you. The gospel is here. It's in this passage. It's not simply about using a title or paying a pastor. It's about the salvation of the world through our Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your great grace. Lord, we thank you for men that serve the church, that sacrifice. Um, I, I think that only until you've filled their shoes um, will you understand the sacrifices that they make, and that's okay. Um, they're not men with broad shoulders, They are men who understand what it is to be dependent on you. And to be humble. So Lord, I pray that you will do a work in our church to raise up men who will love their families and men who will love the church community and men who will love their neighbors and who will lead. So in this time, as we reflect on your word, I pray especially for our men. I pray that you will bring them to repentance. That you will help all of us see our shortcomings. And Lord, that we will be more dependent upon you for we know that whatever task that is at hand in life, that we do not have enough 
to accomplish that to the degree even our minds set to without your strength and your grace. And even our success, our success in life can be a great burden and can result in failure if we do not continue to be dependent upon you. So I pray for your grace, I pray for your strength, and I pray that you will continue to use uh, Northbridge Church and the men here as they go out into the community and their families that we will lead in a way that honors you. In your name we pray, amen.